Good morning. Uh, my name is Stevie Titus, and my family has been attending Grace Meadows Church since Christmas, and I will be reading our scripture today from Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The scriptures are as relevant today as they were then. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Stevie. Awesome. It's the Stevie and Steve show today, so that's great. It's uh, my honor to introduce Steve. Steve is a, a really good friend of mine. He leads a life group. He leads our uh, men's ministry, and he's just a really great asset, him and his family, to our church. So please welcome Steve Spear to the stage. Can I, can I pray for you before you get started? Please, please You're going to need it. Yes, I'm, I'm sorry. Thanks. Father, I pray for Steve right now in this moment. Just speak through him. Uh, Father, just have your way here this morning. Help, help him to just have a confidence that you're going to do what you're going to do, and that's a good thing. And Father, I pray for boldness. I pray for confidence. I pray for peace in this moment. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will just saturate this environment. I pray that you will just lead us, lead us into the next steps that you desire for us here today. We love you very much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Dallas. That was not over the top at all like last time. Reasonable expectations. Uh, before we get started today, I was wondering if everybody would be okay with us praying for Israel. I don't know if you guys are tracking what's going on over there, but yesterday Hamas la launched like a full-scale attack, thousands of rockets, land, sea, air-ish, and uh, there are hundreds of Israelis and, and Palestinians dead right now, and I just thought we could take a minute to pray for them. Lord, please be with Israel during this time. Any believers that are there, let them find comfort in you. Anyone who is not a believer there, let them turn to you in this time. Keep them safe and find peace in that area, whatever that looks like, for your will as quickly as possible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, thank you, Stevie, for that scripture reading. Uh, I'm, my name's Steve. I used to be a Stevie. I feel like that's something that guys kind of grow out of at some point. Maybe it's something that ladies grow into, like there's some Stevie vector that we both had to cross <laughs> at some point in our lives. Um. So this week, we are starting a new series. The series is going to be called Fortify the Family. It's four weeks long. Uh, I'm giving the opening here where we're going to talk about what God's family is and why it's important. Next week, for sitting through this, you get the reward of listening to Pastor Dallas's father speak. Walter Crouch will be here. So it'll probably balance out. And then, uh, <laughs> and then Pastor Dallas will clean up weeks three and four. So, what is God's family? When I first started doing the research for this message, I, uh, I thought it was pretty straightforward. God's family is the church, right? We've all heard that before. 
And while that is 100% true and the purpose of this entire series, uh, when I was doing some research, I found out that God uses that sort of language quite frequently, and I thought since this is the introduction to the series, it might be interesting to point that out. First of all, we don't have to look past God himself to find this sort of language being used, because we believe in one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In God himself, we already see this sort of family language, because he is a family. Before he created anything else, he is a family. Another thing I noticed is that throughout the Old Testament, there's a Hebrew phrase that occurs relatively frequently. Ben ha-Elohim, ben means son, ha-Elohim, Elohim being one of the names for God in the Old Testament, but this phrase is translated as sons of God. Now, it seems to be used for different things in different places, angels in like Job chapter 1, and then some other places, maybe like kings and rulers, but this sort of language occurs a lot in the Bible because it's important to God. And I think it's important, I think Dallas really hit on it, uh, he did a series a few months ago on unity, and he said something that really stuck with me, and that is that you can be part of a group or a community, and that's one type of feeling, but you have a totally different feeling about family, because family is about more than just believing, it's about belonging. We don't simply believe in God, we belong to God, we belong with God. And that's why I think this sort of language is really important. Now, obviously, he uses that sort of language to refer to us a lot, especially in the New Testament, and I want to run through some of those so we're all on the same page. Dallas, try to keep up back there. <laughs> uh, Galatians 6, uh, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Then you're part of the family of believers. Peter echoes that same sort of language in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. By the way, quick shout out to our Wednesday night series, Suit Up, where we're talking about how to put on the full armor of God to protect and resist against the prowling lion that is the devil. Moving on to 1 Timothy 3.15. If I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is what? Which is the church of the living God, the pillar of foundation and truth. God's household is the church of the living God. Are you part of this church? You're part of God's household. We start to see it get a little more personal in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So we are heirs as sons and daughters of Christ, but this is kind of a first glimpse we get at this brother-sister relationship with Christ. Hebrews chapter 2 really hammers in home, verses 11 and 12. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy 
are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters in the assembly. I will sing your praises. So individually, we are sons and daughters of the Father. We are brothers and sisters with Christ and each other. But also collectively, we see more of this sort of language because collectively as the church, in Ephesians chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 21, we see the church referred to as the bride of Christ or the bride of the Lamb. So individually, we're part of the family, but then also collectively, we're part of the family. Because he really wants to make sure that you know you're part of the family. So why is that important today? It's easy to think about why that would be important when we're in heaven, but why do we need to think about the importance of God's family while we're here on earth right now? I'm going to give you three reasons for that this morning, and the first one is going to take us back to the scripture reading that Stevie did for us earlier. I'm going to start in verse 4 this time. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, In his love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That statement by itself should blow our minds. Before the creation of the world, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. That means before Genesis chapter 1, before the start of this book, He had already decided that he wanted us to be part of his family. Now, while that should sound pretty amazing, I think it can be even more amazing if we focus on one word that I think, as a culture, we have a tendency to sort of breeze over, and that word is adoption. I want to focus on this just for a minute, because I don't know if this is still the case, but when I was a kid, we would, like, make fun of people for being adopted, we would say, I mean, even if they weren't adopted, we would just be, we'd be, you know, making like jokes back and forth, and we'd be like, oh, well, you're adopted. And the connotation was, well, if you're adopted, then maybe your parents don't love you as much, or maybe you're like a second-hand citizen in your family. And uh, it wasn't until I adopted my own children that I realized how incredibly wrong that sort of thinking was. For those of you who don't know, Kayla and I have two adopted kids down in that kid's barn. I'm going to try really hard not to say their names out of uh, protection for them, but you can probably figure out who they are. Uh, (laughs) We got them both as foster babies, as infants, and even though they were from completely separate families, they were born only one day apart, so they're like our twins. Uh, But the process of adopting them couldn't have been any more different. The first one was relatively straightforward. Um, It took about 18 months, and that's all it took to get all the paperwork, all the court hearings, and I think a big part of why it was so fast was his biological parents, I mean, they wanted us to adopt him, and I think a big part of that was because of the way they saw Kayla uh, interact with him during, like, visits and stuff like that, but they had made the decision very early in the process that he would be better off with us than with them. So it was pretty easy. Uh, The second one was completely different. It was, I mean, I think a nightmare would be an understatement. So we got him as an infant, and after about two years of fostering, uh, he got reunified. 
with his biological mother, and that is always the goal for fostering. Reunification is the goal, but it hurt really bad, uh, so bad that we decided to take a break from fostering altogether. We let our license expire, and we did some traveling and some things like that, but we were just having a really hard time considering fostering anymore after he went back. So about two years later, uh, we were just moving into a new house. I think we'd only been there like a month, and we got a call from a close friend that said that this child had come back into the system. So we started making phone calls. We started scrambling to try and get some sort of temporary placement while we go and get like our license set back up. And, you know, it was very difficult. And then two more years of fostering and meetings and hearings and all the paperwork involved. And unlike uh, the first set of biological parents, this biological mother, it seemed like she really just wanted him to be with anybody but us. Um, and it was really hard. But eventually, we went through the entire process, and we adopted him into our family, and he became a spear. But it was at that point that I realized how wrong my thinking as a child was, because if someone is willing to go through all of that just to bring you into their family, that shows how badly they truly want you in their family. Uh, it was not easy. It was physically hard, going to hearings and having to make up work. It was emotionally difficult. It can be very financially draining for some people. It is a very difficult process. And another thing to think about is when you have biological children, you're not sure what you're going to get. You hope for certain things, right? Like, I hope they have this hair color or this eye color. I hope they have your personality. I hope they're just healthy. But when you're adopting a child, you know exactly what you're getting. You know their gender. You know their eye color, hair color, skin color, personality. You know if they have long-term health issues that you might be committing to for the rest of their life or your life. And you still make the decision to go through that process anyway because that's how badly you want them in your family. And I want you to think about that when we read this passage because before the creation of the world... God had predetermined us for adoption into his family, knowing who we would be and how it would go. He did it knowing that he would create this earth and everything that we see. He would create the garden and man, that man would fall and sin and, con and continue to sin and continue to sin, and we would turn our back on him. And eventually, he would have to send his son as a savior to pay the price that we couldn't pay. And still, many would turn their back on him, and they would shun him, and mock him, and deny him. And God did it all anyway, because that's how badly he wants to have you in his family. So how important is family to God? Well, we know that he decided that he wanted us to be in his family before the beginning of this book. And if you go to the last chapter not the actual, la the last chapter is the closing to the letter of Revelation, but the last chapter in the story of this book, we see the creation of the new heaven and the new earth, and we see that the church is presented to the Lamb as his bride. That is the completion of our adoption into his family. This entire book is the adoption paperwork that God created for us. And he signed those papers with his son's blood, so point number one, how important is God's family? Well, to him, 
It's very important. If God didn't desire uh, to adopt us into his family, creation as we know it would not exist. Did we get it? Yeah. That seems like it might be a little over the top, like a little heady, a little philosophical. Um, the next two points, I promise, are, are much more practical. But I did want to emphasize how important it is to God that we are a part of his family. Point number two, it's God's plan for reaching the world. God sent his son as a savior, but that savior sent his disciples to tell everybody about it. Bibles didn't start raining from the sky. He gave us his word. He preserved it for millennia. We should be very grateful for that. But it's on the backs of believers that that word is carried to all the nations. We've heard the Great Commission. We're going to read it again. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you until the very end of the age. I think sometimes um, we can read this and we can think, well, I'm not a missionary and I'm not called to be an evangelist, so maybe this doesn't really apply to me. And while it might be true that individually we're not all called to be evangelists or missionaries, collectively as the church it is our mission to fulfill this command. I think Paul puts it best in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. We can read that and say like, well, I'm so glad he gave us those apostles and prophets and teachers and pastors. You know, they're going to really get it done for us. But that's not what it says. He gave us those things to equip his people. That's us. What did he equip his people for? Works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I really like this analogy of using the church as the body because I think it can really drive this home. If we start thinking of the church as the body, we can start thinking about who is what part of the body, right? The elders are like the head, right? They give us our doctrine, our theology, our direction. The worship team is like our heart. They prepare us for receiving God's word and whatever he has to give us. Pastors are like the mouths. They speak on behalf of the church. Deacons are kind of like the hands, right? They're serving the church and the community. Missionaries are like uh, the feet. They're carrying the word of the church out into all the parts of the world. But what about all the other body parts? Knees, elbows, lung, liver. Who wants to be the liver? <laughs> Nobody wants to be the liver, but what happens to a body that doesn't have a liver? It dies. What happens to a body that doesn't have lungs? It dies. What happens to a body that doesn't have knees? It has a really hard time getting around. Doesn't have elbows, it makes those hands hard to use. We all have a purpose in this church. And it's not unless all of us are fulfilling that purpose that the church can truly be what God wants it to be. Body parts that aren't serving their purpose can be a lot like dead weight. Not only are they not serving their purpose, but it can make it so that other body parts have to carry weight that they wouldn't normally have to carry. But if we all come together and we find and fill our function, then we, accomplish, we can accomplish the, the task that God has for us.
And even if we're not missionaries, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asked to get, for you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We should all be prepared to give an answer for why we have hope in Jesus. Point number three. Family is, God's family is important because it shows his original intent for what family is supposed to look like, what it should look like. Um, I'm going to start by saying my family relationships are pretty good, so I'm going to be not really speaking from experience here. You know, I have a great relationship with my parents and my brother. I actually have a really good relationship with my in-laws. I know that's not the case for a lot of people. I've been very blessed in that department, but I know that sometimes families can be very messy and difficult, hurtful, even traumatizing, but it's important for you to know that that is not what God had in mind for family. That's not what family is supposed to look like. And through the church family, we have an opportunity, a chance to show each other and the world around us what family is supposed to look like. This is what the Bible says it should look like. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We're not outdoing each other in showing honor out of pride, but out of humbleness, because we think that the people around us deserve it more than we do. Romans 15, 14, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourself are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge and are capable and able to instruct one another. We're to instruct one another. That's part of being a family, to guide each other. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. We're to be kind and tender-hearted and forgiving. That's what family should be. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. We should encourage one another and build each other up, which apparently they were already doing. And Paul's saying, don't Rest on your laurels. Don't just ride this out. I'm giving you encouragement, but you need to keep pressing forward. 1 John 3.11 says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. It all comes back to love. I want to... We're doing good on time. All right. Uh, I want to give a couple of examples that I have noticed... Um, this church, I want to give some encouragement. That's what we're going to do right now. Uh, I'm going to give two examples. I'm sure everybody in here can give a handful, but these two have really stood out to me. And the first one is from my life group. I'm not going to use any names because I have not asked permission to tell this story. So if this is you and you want somebody to know about it, then, uh, you know, you can brag about it. Uh, so we have two life groups in one Slack. Our life group got so big, God blessed our life group so much that we had to split into two because it was like 60 people in one house. It was getting crazy. Um, but we used Slack for communicating with each other. And one day, one of the ladies in our life group, um, she popped in and she was like, I got to drop off my vehicle at the mechanic. 
would anybody be willing to pick me up? And within like five minutes, somebody was like, yeah, just send me the address, I'll come get you. And that seems like a small thing, but have you ever asked somebody to pick you up from the airport? Or have you ever had somebody ask you to pick them up from the airport? Like that's a terrifying phone call to get or make. And I was just really taken aback at how willing and joyful this group was to take time out of their day to, to serve each other. The other example I'm going to give, I also haven't asked permission to tell, and I am going to use this person's name because I don't think this person gets enough credit in this church. And this might be the last time I speak up here because of it. <laughs> um, if we're using the body reference for this church, this man is the spine. He's what keeps this church going. You may have been coming to this church for months and never even heard his name because that's how humble he is. But a few months ago, uh, we had a crazy storm blow through. You guys remember this? It was only like 12 hours. It knocked down like a bunch of trees and power lines and stuff like that. So after this, um, I get a call, uh, text from Pastor Dallas that said that he had gotten information that some people had trees down in their yards and in their driveways and things like that. And he said, hey, do you think it would be possible if we could get the men's group to get some guys together and go clear some of these logs? And I said, I think that's a great idea. Let me send some text messages out. And like half an hour later, he sends me another text and he says, hey, don't worry about it. David Eldridge is going to take care of it. This was like a Tuesday, right? I thought, yeah, we'll, we'll do it this weekend or something. It was Tuesday. 48 hours later, he had gotten tractors and chainsaws and a bunch of guys together. All these, this encouragement is for the guys who helped too. I just don't know all your names. But they got together and within 48 hours they had cleared all of these trees. And I remember finding out about it on like a Thursday and just thinking to myself, I don't think I could get my dad or like my childhood best friend over to my house on a Tuesday with a chainsaw to move a fallen tree like I was it was I was really taken at bat and uh, I think it really shows how willing this church is to serve one another but as Paul said don't rest on your laurels all right keep it up let's keep doing it if you feel like you're serving serve harder if you feel like you're being called to do something and you're not doing it it's time to start um, worship team you guys can start working your way back up the last thing I want to say is I want to try and be encouraging to uh, anybody here who has not felt a part of God's family before. So there's this video that I saw on the internet. I'm sure there's a bunch of them. It's like a genre of video, but I'm going to give you this one uh, example that I saw. It, it's a, a, a guy probably my age. And he's um, hanging out with a, a teenage girl. It's Christmas time. They're exchanging gifts. And the, uh, the girl gives this guy a box, and he opens it up. And inside the box, there's a bunch of paperwork. And he starts reading it. And he immediately just bursts into tears. And it turns out that this guy was her stepfather. And she was presenting him with adoption paperwork, asking him to be her legal father. So then she starts crying, the camera person's crying, I'm crying. And I just want to say, if you've never had that moment with God, I encourage you to take that opportunity. If you've never turned to him and handed him 
a box of adoption papers and begged him to accept you under his family and said, please sign this paperwork in your son's blood and accept me into your family. Then I encourage you to make that day today because he is a good, good father and this is a good church family. And I think if you do it, you will not regret it. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful that in love you predestined us to be your children before the formation of the earth. That even though you knew all the sins and all the faults that we would make, that you thought everything in this book was still worth it because that's how badly you wanted us to be in your family. Help us to be what you desired a family to be for each other and help us to show the world what that family should look like and to bring them the good news. In Jesus' name, amen. As we stand in worship, go ahead and stand with us. Steve, thank you for that reminder.